Will Bradley here, host of the Adventurous Gentleman podcast. And before we kick this episode off, I just want to talk about it a little bit. It was a ton, a ton of fun to do. I actually traveled up to Lake Placid to sit down with today's guest, Joe Moore, the owner and head boat builder of Placid Boatworks. And they make just really awesome lightweight canoes. Joe is also a very avid hunter, conservationist, and outdoorsman. He's just a great guy in general. So if you enjoy this episode, as much listening to it as I did making it, please let Joe know. And if you become interested in checking out any of his pack canoes, just hit him up on Facebook. He's a super nice guy. Really down to earth and fun to talk to. So that being said, if you are not aware, we have two partners with this show. One being Maven Optics. And if you were to buy one of their badass pair of binoculars or even their new rifle scope they just came out with you can enter the coupon code nbhgift at checkout and they will send you some free maven swag i know a lot of you guys have used this code and i greatly appreciate it because every little bit helps and i love doing business with these great companies the second partner is mountain ops been a long time partner uh, they're great guys, great company, great products. You know, there's really not a lot of things that I don't appreciate about them. And they gave us the code TAG10, T-A-G-10, to give you 10% off your checkout when you buy any Mountain Ops products. So please check them out. Let Joe know if you enjoyed the show. And now, just kick back, relax, because here it comes. If you are ready to take the hard road... The road less travelled. The path in life where the journey is more important than the destination. Then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigour. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome one and all to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. I'm your host, Will Bradley. And today we have Joe Moore from Placid Boatworks. So if you hear a little bit of rumbling in the background, don't worry. It's only because they're making really high-end, badass canoes. Well, thank you, sir. Welcome to the show, Joe. I, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm glad because we're able to do it in person versus over Skype or something. And I was able to come up here and see your shop and look at what you have going on. And it is really impressive. How did you get started in canoe making? Well, it's kind of a, a, a circuitous, interesting story. I, I was with a nonprofit environmental group um, for, for 15 years, and uh, things kind of changed there, and, and it wasn't as much fun to, uh, to be there anymore. And um, I uh, actually did some environmental consulting in the interim after I left there and, and did the, the uh, project that improved the, uh, the pullouts in the parking areas along Route 73 between here and the Northway, the High Peaks yeah, 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 and um, it, I, I enjoyed the work, but it was kind of sporadic. Uh, consulting's kind of tough, so I actually had a friend who was um, a canoe builder out in Minnesota for for a time with Bell Canoe Works, and uh, he had moved east, and we started the business together. And uh, he has since retired, but um, I uh, I'm still here. So that was uh, 15 years ago. 
That's yeah. awesome. And did you have any interest in canoes before that? Or was it just kind of like, hey, I build canoes and I need someone to build them with? Just a casual interest. Actually, he and I had talked about uh, starting a little niche business to do pack canoes, you know, uh, the, the Adirondack version of uh, the pond hopper. And um, um, we just, uh, when, when my time became available, I said, well, are we going to do this or what? And, uh, <laughs> and we did it. So, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, getting started was a little slow and, and, and uh, fits and starts. And we, we had some, you know, partnerships are tough, too. We had very different they work styles. And, and obviously, you're, you've done pretty well. This is not a small building we are in currently. How big is this place? Uh, okay, 60 by 90. So the first floor is uh, about 5,400 square feet and 12-foot uh, ceilings, big high ceilings, so we can move boats around. And then upstairs, there's another 2,400 feet. We have two uh, two suites, apartments up there that are short-term rentals. So, so that's 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 pretty big little boat factory for something that just started as a little niche. Yeah, well, it was built over time though, and it was built from the ground up. I mean, we yeah, we we bootstrapped it, so <laughs> it was uh, a lot of hard hard work involved. Were there ever times you were scared this might not work out? I think. I've made the bad choice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, when you, when you jump into something like that and, uh, you've got a lot of time and, and, uh, money committed to, you know, to product that's sitting on a shelf, you know, because nobody knows what it is yet. You know, um, the, the thing that kicked off the business for us really in the sales was the, uh, there was a Adirondack, uh, living Adirondack living show and it was basically under a big tent at the horse show grounds and it drew in a lot of merchants and a lot of people and we signed up for that and uh that weekend we sold like I don't know 10 boats or something so it, it actually you know got us going um back in what was it 2005 or 2004 so which that's pretty cool because before Placid Boatworks, I didn't have much of an idea about pack canoes, which is a little bit crazy to me because I'm a hunter and I love the Adirondacks and that's exactly the person pack canoes were originally designed for. So what was the reception like from people when they saw these boats? Did they think this was a totally new kind of product out there or were there people who were like, I know exactly what that is? A uh, little of both. I mean, we still get the, you know, what's that, a canoe or a kayak? But uh, if you uh, if you visit the Blue Mountain Museum, I mean, th these things have been around since the mid-1800s, as you've probably discovered since. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, Pete Hornbeck was probably the first guy who actually started building them in, in composites, uh, you know, 35 or 40 years ago. He's been around for a long time, building, the you know, a, a lightweight version of... Uh, essentially the old Rushton pack canoes, uh, which, you know, Nesmuk used to paddle around and extol the virtues of, you know, even though he would jump on a steamship if it got rough, you know, he, <laughs> he was about 100 pounds in tuberculosis, and, uh, you know, he, if it got rough, he'd jump on the steamship going down Saranac Lake. But uh, um, the boats that we're doing are a bit different in design. They're much more of a modern kayak haul. We've, we've cleaned up the lines. They're much more efficient than the old Rushton designs, which were very what we call cheeky. Um, they had a real narrow entry, like a knife-like entry, and then they flared. So the, the, the glide in the water wasn't the same with those boats as it, as it is with ours. And could, say, a modern hunter 
if they wanted to kind of retrace those old footsteps and paddle down Racket River somewhere and do some hunting off their canoe, would these canoes be able to haul out a deer and all their equipment? Yeah, we have. I mean, as you see, we have different size boats here, um, everything from 12 feet up to 16 feet in the solos, and then we have a 17-foot tandem. Um, this hunter uses them, yeah. So, <laughs> and I have a buddy who's duck hunting out of our 13-footer, but uh, deer hunting with a 15, uh, the rapid fire, I've, I've taken um, a week's worth of camping gear in my, my uh, 85-pound lab with me, um, no problem in the 15, so uh, a, a deer wouldn't be any problem at all. That's something I would love to see become more popular again. I think there'd be something really cool and special about seeing, you know, hunters load up come the season in pack canoes and take on the waterways. I agree. Yeah, that'd be great. What's the uh, reception like? Are you hearing from a lot of hunters all these days now that they're becoming more popular or... Well, I, it's funny because one of your podcasts, I heard you talking about how the environmental community is kind of, you know... Uh, factionalized and and I think there are real divisions in in the outdoor community I think that uh, you know our our typical client is much different than um, you know than than some of the the hook and bullet crowd for sure and there it, it doesn't need to be that way I mean there's there's certainly a lot of crossover and in interests and everything I mean you know this and the canoe is perfect example I mean you know you've got people who are nature photographers using them you've, you've got people who are hunters who could be using them and some are. Um, so, you, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those crossover products that, that could be marketed and, and, and uh, could be appealing to a lot of the outdoor community. Which I think a lot of times both communities will get painted with one brush, right? You can't be, say, a democratic, conservation-driven person and be a hunter, or vice versa, you know, you wouldn't see it. But I know a lot of people who are just that. They're on both sides of the fence doing both. But both parties kind of want to be like, nah, let's not acknowledge this is going on here. What do, what do you think keeps people in the dark a little bit then in, in those divides still in existence? Oh, I, I, I think it's, well, <laughs> we live in a divided nation right now is, you know, you just read the paper, or watch the news and you can tell. But um, I, I just think that there are always these little competitions within, <laughs> within groups. I mean, you've got the, the, the stick, you know, the stick bow guys and the, and the compound <laughs> bow guys, you've got the, the roadies and the mountain bikers, you've got the free heel skiers and the, you know, the fixed heel skiers. I mean, it, whenever you have a sport, there's people saying, you know, well, this is the way to do it. In, in our sport, it's uh, sometimes the double blade in an open canoe is poo-pooed, you know, it's like, um, you know, because it's, it's non-traditional. When in reality, um, when, when the uh, American Canoe Association started in Lake George in the mid 1800s, people were paddling canoes with double blades. But there are people now who, um, you know, look down their nose at somebody who's not using a single blade paddle in a in a in an open boat. Yeah. It's kind of that lost heritage where the pack canoe seems really new and it's not. The double blade seems really new and like it should only be a, with a kayak, but it's not. Exactly. Yeah. And people. You're right. People, they pick and choose, and sometimes they want to keep that delineation of I'm this, and you're that, and you can't be on my team. 
Right, exactly. You know, and this is the only way I've heard people that, you know, that's wrong. This is the way you paddle a canoe. You know, it's like, well, yeah, um, you can paddle it with that, but you can also do this. And actually, you can travel much faster and more efficiently with a double blade. I carry both. I mean, I'll carry a single blade. I love using a single blade, especially when you get in tight spots. You know, if you get in a, a narrow creek, you know, or you've got overhanging alders, you're not going to use a double blade. You're just going to be beating the trees. But, you know, it, the single blade lets you, lets you propel the boat. So there's a tool for every job. And let's talk about that a little bit. I did the 90 miler this year. You've been doing it for a number of years. And I can recall you going by and you were going much, much faster than we were. And there was two of us and you started much further back than we did. So let's, let's talk about that. How long have you been racing? And well, how much training did you put in? Uh, you know, well, yeah, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> Zero. There you go. But, but we were still beating people. Well, that's so, awesome. so by the third day we were middle, solid middle of the pack. That's good. <laughs> so, you know, three days worth of training. And how long have you been doing the 90 miler for? Oh geez. I think, uh, I think 12 years, 12 straight. And what kind of uh, times are you looking at? Um, for, well, I consider 15, 15 hours used to be the big goal. Um, and, and breaking that with the 15 foot boat, the rapid fire was, was kind of a huge thing. Um, I think I got it 1440 something. Uh, and then we came up with the shadow, which is a foot longer and, um, two and a half inches narrower than the rapid fire. And, uh, it was, it, it was designed as a go fast boat. It's, it's more of an open, uh, it's a sea kayak hull, basically open top sea kayak. And with that boat, we've been, um, we've been knocking more time off. I did uh 1414 this past year and for the, for the 90 miler. So, wow. So for people who don't understand or haven't heard me talk about the 90 miler on previous episodes, it's exactly what it sounds like. You're paddling 90 miles in a canoe, retracing what they used to call, I believe the highway of the Adirondacks was the name of it. And it takes you through a system of waterways from Old Forge, New York to Saranac Lake, New York over a three-day period. So to finish it in 14 hours, you're hauling ass. It's moving along, yeah. The, the boat cruises, it's just super efficient. And what goes into designing a boat to go a foot longer and thinner? What drove that idea? Well, basically, we wanted something that was going to be uh, a class crusher in the 90, frankly. I mean, a lot of people... Yeah, well, <laughs> You're I mean, bringing I mean, a gun to a knife fight. <laughs> perfectly blunt. Uh, yeah, we're trying to go fast. Um, it's great marketing for us, just having, um, you know, having our boats show well in that race. I mean, because our boats aren't racing boats. Um, a lot of people ask me all the time, well, you know, when are you going to make a racing boat? And I say, never. Um, these things are more... Yeah, and the reason is that um, usually when you make a racing boat, you're, you're marketing to a tiny, tiny little, you know, group, and they want a discount on everything. So, <laughs> so they want to be sponsored. Uh, Sounds like the hunting community. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so um, what, we, what we do is uh, high-end touring boats, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the Mercedes of, or, the, or the BMW of touring boats. They're, they're high-performance boats. They actually outpace a lot of the race boats. But they're comfortable, they're very stable, and they're fast. I was going to say, for a person who doesn't make race boats, I see a lot of their boats, the non-racing one, in the races. 
the the non-racing or your just your regular boats oh, up yeah, against yeah. racing boats in that race yeah the well the 15 uh yeah the 15 is our uh, is our stretched out version of the 12 and uh, we took we literally took the sections from the our smallest boat our 12 footer stretched it three feet and it's just it's our most popular boat it's our best seller it, it uh it's fast it can carry a ton of gear you can carry a week's worth of camping gear in the big dog um it's and you know it's it's just a home run it does everything really well and you know if you if you need that little bit of extra then the shadow which is our 16 is uh is the boat that we're running for you know knocking seconds off in the 90 so and that's the ferrari then that's yeah that's our ferrari (laughs) (laughs) did you race the shadow this year yeah that's the one we've been using for the last few years Uh, and and where did you finish in the race um, well, I won, I won the solo wreck, which is what we run in. They, they, they didn't quite know how to categorize, a, you know, getting back to the point of uh, what's that, what is it, a canoe or a kayak? They didn't know how to categorize us. So they stuck us in this solo wreck category, which is, uh, anything, anything up to 16 feet down to 21 inches at the four inch water line and, um, using a double blade paddle. So it can be a kayak or an open boat. Um, and, uh, our boats have been pretty much you know one two three every year uh for the last you know since we've had at least three in the in the race (laughs) as long as there's been three boats you've been taking first second third no no you know there's some other people out there who claim that they're you know they're they're starting to make you know boats that are 16 feet and 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 you know class spec boats you know the 16 down to 21 uh we heard a bunch of stuff this year about uh um, how there was a boat out there that was going to run with the shadows and um, we didn't see him except at the start line. So we were pretty happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your, what's your favorite part of doing the 90 miler? Oh, there's a, there's a lot, I guess. I, I mean, there's some prep that goes in, you know, I, I, it gets me out paddling in the mornings before work, which is great because, uh, um, otherwise I wouldn't be doing much except working. Uh, so I get out on Lake Placid in the morning and train for a couple hours, you know, anywhere from two to three hours, a uh, few times a week. And, um, but it's fun. It, you know, that event, it, it's more of an event than a race, I guess. I don't, I, I don't find it to be, it's not a cutthroat race. It's just a lot of fun. It's, you know, a lot of laughs and you see a lot of friends that you don't see the rest of the year. You see them that one weekend and, uh, it's really kind of a neat, the paddling community is kind of cool. Yeah, it is a cool community. It's a lot of fun. They have the paddle fest down in uh, Old Forge, and I went there a few times, and it's a really fun, vibrant community. Yeah. And it was that same kind of, it was almost like a festival mixed with a race, I would say, the 90-miler. I mean, it was obviously much more challenging for Ian and I than it was for you. (laughs) Well, it's challenging for everybody, I think. It's, you know, what level you're putting out at and, and what you're prepared for, obviously, but yeah, you know, it's it's a challenge for everybody. Everybody hits that wall during that thing at one point or another. Yeah, I can definitely remember when Ian hit it because yeah. there was a lot of me looking very closely at him to see if he was putting effort into his strokes. <laughs> not feeling the power, huh? I was not feeling <laughs> you, you know, if you stop paddling for a couple strokes and the boat almost comes to a dead stop, your partner's not putting a ton of effort in at that point. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing with the solo boat. You've got nobody to look at but yourself, so there's nobody to blame. You can yell at yourself. but what, What's the fastest? Have you ever thought? Maybe I should do this in what they call the cannonball and go from beginning to end in one shot. 
It's it's funny. Um, a lot of a lot of people do that. I know. And what is it like? It's right at the solstice, I guess. Right, uh, June twenty first. Yeah. Think they do that longest day. Um, I just haven't had any desire to do that. But I mean, a lot of I I can see the appeal. It, you know, starting at what do they start at like three in the morning or something? And yeah, it's pretty crazy. early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, there was one guy I know from around here who was going to do it. He was going to do the double cannibal. He was going to paddle down and back. Oh non-stop. my god! I don't think he ever made it down. So, <laughs> does anyone make it down and back? I don't. Th- I don't know if that, that anybody's ever done that. But uh, yeah, he was all gung ho about it, but uh, didn't work out. That's that's daunting. I mean, 180 miles nonstop is yeah, that would be soul crushing. I'm sure you. I'm sure there's someone that you know could manage that, but not, not my thing. <laughs> oh sorry. yeah, I don't not know about that. that. <laughs> the cannonball sounds pretty cool, but I don't know about a double. Oh, well, when I race bikes, I was always more of a criterium rider, which is a short, you know, more shorter events with lots of sprinting and a lot stuff. Of circles. So, yeah, a lot of circles, right? And. Um, you know, it was, you know, they're typically on the order of an hour to an hour and a half max. So that's, you know, the 90 breaks down pretty good for me, you know, with three days of, you know, hard efforts, but it's, you know, it's broken up. So yeah, you're finishing it in about the time it took us to finish the first day. So that's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I remember we started out and when we started, there was a team of two girls and there's so much turbulence in the water when we started that they capsized. And I remember Ian and I just thinking, we're fucked. <laughs> we, we really should have learned how to canoe. <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> no, no. And people are just going out there, guns blazing, and we're like, oh, man, let's just stick to slow and steady. The only thing that made us feel a little bit better is there was another crew that also had someone named Dean on their boat, and they had this big old plastic, uh, must have What's the, what's the really old town? And I think it was an old red plastic old, old town. town. And they had like a cooler and their camping gear and all this stuff. And they were maybe a little more experienced in canoeing <laughs> than us, but not much more. And our only goal was to beat these guys to the finish. <laughs> and, and did you? Oh, we did. We okay. did. I don't okay. think, I, I, for some reason, I think they got pulled on the second day. Oh. I think, I don't know if they made the cutoff. But on that first day going across uh, Racket Lake, we were, I think, 15 minutes ahead of cutoff time Yeah, to make it. <laughs> but yeah. we were like, oh, boy, we better pick up the pace well, that's now. that's all right. I mean, so having never done it before, you, you made the cutoff. So. You know, we found we're really piss poor at canoeing, but really great at running with a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you make up a lot of time on yeah, land. We made up a lot of time on land. Luckily, there's a lot of portages. Well, the ground game's big, and, and especially on that first day, because I think it's like, what, th- was it three and a half or four and a half miles on the first day? I think. It's the it's the most portages. Yeah. I know that it's a lot. There's four different yeah four different portages I believe, and what the the one through the campground is, it's easy, but it's like a mile. It is long. So we were we were dropping shit left and right out of our pockets, and if you ever tried to bend down while your two men are carrying one canoe, it is the worst thing in history it's almost <laughs> impossible imagine if you're in a horse costume with another person and the person in the back has to get like a goo or something they've dropped on the ground it's not fun no it's not, not fun, it's at not all. fun. No. we had we had no idea when it came to you know a lot of people have like the water jugs mounted with the thing in that we had no idea 
about any of this stuff. We had like a camelback or something. I threw it in the back. And yeah. after that, I was like, I'm not going to worry about drinking water today. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. I made that mistake first day. I, first time I did it, I wore uh, I wore the camelback and it just started grinding into my back. You know, you start sweating and it just start. You just, yeah, back was just red. Got rid of it the second day. <laughs> the only mistake I've heard worse than that was I heard a team. Uh, someone was telling me like their mom did the race and they decided they were going to wear like Depends or something. They were going for some oh, super geez. fast time on their team. And what they didn't realize was when you get out of the canoe and into the water, those Depends are going to absorb all that water. And all of a sudden what seems like a great idea is now an anchor on your waist. Not Yeah, not, not well thought out. No, not at all. <laughs> on, on many levels. Not well thought out. Do you have a favorite spot to canoe that you like to go to or area? Yeah, actually, um, I'll spend I'll spend time over in the St. Regis area. I love love going up in the St. Regis canoe area and and the loop south of Floodwood Road also, um, especially in the off season when there aren't a lot of people around. That's that's neat. You know, you're in and out of the boat a lot, and you you get to see some neat stuff over there. Fishing's pretty good if you if you like to fish and. Uh, um, most of my time, frankly, though, is just by circumstances, just doing laps around Lake Placid. So you take what you can get. I take what I can get. How about, do you have any dream trips? Like I know, for those people who aren't that into canoeing and may have never looked into this, there's some really big routes that will take you all the way from say old forge to Maine, you know, and up into Canada, all probably all over the world more than I know. But is there anything like that? that yeah. The Northern forest canoe trail is obviously, uh, is a big draw for many people. And we've had several, several of our customers have, have done that in our boats. And, uh, um, I can think of one gentleman, he, he had retired as a teacher and, uh, did it, did it in one of our 15 footers, our rapid fires. And, uh, he, uh, just had a great experience, you know, doing that. I think, um, for, for me, um, I, I would, um, I'd love to paddle more out West, like out, uh, Yellowstone area. Um, there's some really great, you know, great places out there, big lakes, uh, small streams, but you've got that, that whole thing, you know, the, the, the boiling water, <laughs> you know, you got the, yeah. all the, all the heat going on out there with the, uh, you know, the, 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 the geothermal activity and stuff. So that'd be kind of fun. What about like something like the Grand Canyon? You think that would be doable in a rapid fire? <laughs> um, I'm sure somebody could maybe <laughs> in a beefed up version with float bags and stuff. I think, uh, I, yeah, I think it could be done, but, uh, um, yeah, that, that might be, that wouldn't be something I'd want to try. <laughs> not, sure. not high on I'm the list. Flat water guy. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like staying in the boat when I go. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah, I think that's how they're designed. To <laughs> so what's that feeling like? I mean, it's kind of cool because you're involved in a sport, but you're also a craftsman here making a product with your hands, which I think is super cool. You know, not just in America, but here in Northern New York, what's that feeling like when somebody, you know, contacts you and they're like, this is the boat I want. This is how I want it. And then that moment of finally getting it in their hands and they're out on the water using it. Yeah. It's really rewarding. I mean, uh, that's one of the big draws of, I've always, I've always built things. I've always built, you know, furniture and, and, um, I, you know, I've built, uh, I built our house. Um, I actually built this building that we're in, um, and I, I find it, 
I find it really rewarding when someone else really appreciates the craftsmanship and, and you know the, the the blood, sweat, and tears you put into something, and I know you do that that too. And um, I think you know there's there's nothing more rewarding than having somebody you know just that big smile and the and the and the appreciation that someone gets from something that you hand built and and you know for them, and uh, they use it, yeah. When they finally get it in that water. And you're right on the water here, I believe. Right on the Chubb River. We have a little pond outside the building that people can try boats, yeah. And so is that usually their maiden voyage when they pick it up? They stop right into the river, or are they gone somewhere bigger? Surprisingly few, yeah. They'll, they'll th- put it on the car, and they're heading out to do, you know, go, you know, a little adventure somewhere. But uh, we've had a few do that, though. They actually want to put it in the home water, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Have you heard any wild stories of anybody who's taken your canoes to places, gotten to some stuff? or? Um, well, I, I, I can give you some wild stories about what's happened to some of our canoes. Yes, let's go I mean, there. There's a guy, well, there's a guy that did the 90, or the, uh, not the 90, the, uh, the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. Um, he, he had some interesting stories, and the boat came back to us. Well, back up a step. He he calls me and and says, "Geez, you know my boat is beat to shit. You know it's 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 destroyed." And I'm like, "Well, when, does it have some cracks in it? You know, what's wrong with the boat? I'm I'm just gonna have I'm gonna bring it by. I'll let you look at it." We get looking at it. and It looks like a wreck. I mean, it's just scratched. You know, there's all kinds of scratches in the outer coat. Um, and I got looking at the boat, and and there were no stress cracks at all in it it was just completely cosmetic damage from dragging it through the woods you know and and over rocks and from taking a 700 something miles yeah i mean that's a the canoe the canoe trail is kind of tough because there's a lot of uphill sections in it too it's not all downhill you know you're not running and you're going through some streams and you're hiking a lot on you know it, it there's a bunch of hiking on that trail it is a trail so um he says well can you can you do anything and yeah i said well we'll clean it up for you and uh it left here looking like new. I mean, literally, we, we sanded it and buffed it, uh, wet sanded the outside, buffed it out. And he calls me and he says, is this the same boat? I'm like, yeah, it's the same boat. It's, it's, a, it's all, that was all just cosmetic scratching on the, on the outside, on the gel coat. And that can all be fixed and fixed pretty easily. So, um, but uh, probably one of the wildest things I've heard that happened on one of our boats was on a car. <laughs> it was... Uh, buddy of mine in Long Lake uh, has a camp down there and he says you're not going to believe it a bear attacked my boat on top of the truck I says you're right I don't believe it <laughs> and he sent me some pictures and the thing it, it was just torn up I mean it, I've never seen a boat damaged that way before um, definitely beyond repair I think there have only been two boats that have come that were beyond repair his was one of them and we tried to figure out what the heck a bear would want to do with his boat and uh, um Apparently he had had some food or apples or something ah. in it, and it must have still smelled a little bit. But the thing just tore it apart. And what kind of? So you you talked about refinishing them. I recently saw you did one, and looked like it might have been mossy oak, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. What kind of finishes can you do on these bad boys? Yeah, uh, all of the boats are gel coated, so gel coats come in clear or solid colors. Uh, nor, our normal, our normal uh, build, our stock builds are uh, tinted clear coats, so you still see the weave of the fabric behind the gel coat. So we, we put a little bit of a tin in a clear gel coat, and then um, when we lay the carbon behind it, you still see that cool weave, but you still get the color. Uh, but we can build boats in custom colors. We have um, a whole book. We can buy custom colors in small quantities if, if you wanted striping 
you know, on the clear coat, or if you wanted to do a whole boat in a, in a custom color, we can do that. Uh, but what we're playing around with now is, um, uh, some camo pattern fabrics and uh, so we spray the clear coat in the boat and then we lay a camo pattern behind it uh, we're using max 5 now we've got a roll of that but there are several different patterns we can get we have access to um, and you know digital and yeah, a whole bunch of different colors and so yeah. is, so is Cryptek available? I know there's a lot of I know there's a lot of fans out there of that pattern. I have to, I have to find that one, but I, I haven't seen that one yet. But uh, I'm sure they do. I've seen that on every kind of vehicle I can imagine, except for maybe a canoe. Yeah, and, well, canoe it's it's a little different with a canoe because it has to be printed on fiberglass or on some sort of polyester fabric to get you know to be able to get that effect. So. <laughs> So you, when when I was reaching out to you, I was like, I forget what I asked. Oh, I was going to send you some questions or something. And you wrote back, oh, I've listened to some of your episodes. <laughs> don't no bother. need, don't bother. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this isn't going to be good. <laughs> no, that was a good don't bother. It was like, no, these guys are right. And then talk. you followed it up with a bunch of hunting pictures. How long have you been into hunting? Oh, geez, since uh, my my dad started taking me when um, I, I grew up in central New York, but then moved to Virginia. And down in Virginia, you could hunt when you were 14. You could carry a rifle in the woods. And um, so ever since then, I've been, you know, deer hunting. And my dad showed me the woods and uh, got away from it a little bit when I was in college, as, you know, a lot of people do, I guess. And um, came back to it in my probably late 20s and, and have been ever since. Yeah, I've met some great, speaking of that crossover, I've met some great friends who race bikes and hunt, so. Which is odd, because I feel like a lot of these crowds, people almost avoid talking about it if yeah. they're into it. It's like that little black secret everybody wants to keep hitting, like, oh, hunting. Yeah, yeah no, no, I don't know. You know what, for me, it's grocery shopping. I mean, frankly, I take a very pragmatic view of hunting. I mean, um, I can understand people who don't eat meat on principle and, and, and you know, that's fine. Uh, people who eat meat and are against hunting, I've got a real problem with that. I mean, that's where I, that's where I, you, you, you know, you, as you know, it's like the purest protein you get, you know, it's, it's free range. It's, it's low fat. It's high protein. Fair chase. It's only fair chase. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no better, no better source of food that's out outside our door. I heard the other day somebody said, if you want to be muscle, you got to eat muscle. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's right. You want to get the best you can. <laughs> you know, if for much. some people it's elk and others it's deer. But I, from what I've seen uh, from a lot of... Uh, I'm nonpartisan. <laughs> yeah. From, from what I've seen of a lot of uh, footage, it seems like I'd much rather get the deer out of the field than uh, some of these animals the way they're being treated. Processed, yeah. That's, um, yeah, exactly. So... What kind of hunting are you into, and where do you like to go? Um, I chase whitetails like most of us do around here. Um, so hunt locally. I've recently gotten into uh, elk hunting, um, and uh, I'm really digging that. I've been going the last four years out to southwest Montana, and it's gorgeous country, a lot of animals, um, fun to chase them around those big mountains. Um, you can't beat the views there. Uh, while you're out, you know, you're just, you're just in awe, taking, taking pictures, you know, not paying much attention to hunting sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> taking so many pictures. Uh, it's just gorgeous. And, and for those of you who don't know, if you might have guessed, Placid Boatworks is based in Lake Placid, New York, where the 1980 
Miracle Olympics were held. And this is, there's pretty big mountains here as well. You know, this is not flat land, what you would think of for whitetail country. If you want to get a whitetail in the Adirondacks, they say there's no harder whitetail to get. Yeah, it's tough hunting up here. The deer densities are pretty low and uh, um, you find your spots, you know, <laughs> but uh, they, it can be tough. It can be really tough. And if, say, anyone out there is interested in contacting you about getting a canoe or trying one out, what's the best way to go about that? Uh, best way is to give me a shout at uh, 518-524-2949 or just look us up online at uh, placidboatworks.com or placidboats.com. All right. And is there any parting words you want to say about canoeing, maybe get some people inspired or into it? Oh, it's a great way to, it's a great way to, to bond with friends and family. You can go together. Great way to enjoy a day by yourself. Um, it's a tool. It gets you into the backcountry for other things. There's so many uses, you know, for the boat. So, Well, Joe, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Make sure you check that out. He is also on Instagram and Facebook, so check him out there. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And until the next time, live your life with vigor.